0: Okay, the rest of us, uh, we're going to be looking this morning at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This uh, fall and winter, we've been looking at uh, the epistle of 1 Peter. We're going to continue that uh, today. Uh, we uh, introduced this passage last week, and we're going to um, uh, do uh, a little bit more work on it uh, today to kind of help us uh, unpack this. So I'm gonna, in a few minutes, I'm going to read you this text. And then we're going to talk about the nature of, of service, uh, and then we're going to take about six or seven bullet points out of the text to make some direct application to help us understand it, and then we'll look at the kind of the underlying ground of what it means for Peter to tell us uh, that we are free and we use our freedom to live as servants of God. So let me read to you this text from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is the Word of God, and we should hear it. So um, it's a pretty profound thing to hear that where we honor everyone and that we make ourselves servants. No one naturally defaults to that. No one does. And so uh, we are always uh, seeking kind of to establish our place, our dignity, our uh, uh, sort of uh, status in in the pecking order. Uh, Whenever I think about this text and I think about the nature of what the gospel does for us to set us free to serve... I'm reminded of a friend that I had, uh, this was many years ago, who was, uh, at that point in time, uh, the most successful pastor in our denomination. He had the biggest church. And in fact, his church was so big, it was the largest brick structure ever built at one time in his state. It was gigantic. It was gigantic. I mean, uh, and uh, he was so successful, uh, he was even married to a beauty queen. Uh, She was the Miss of of their state and actually participated in the Miss America contest. He had the world by the tail. He was, as we say in our family, large and in charge and uh, was just blessing after blessing after blessing and uh, was quite a a significant person. Well, he would often go to the back of the church like we do, and he would greet people who visited. And there was a family who visited one Sunday and... uh, He was talking with them like he would with anybody who visited, and he was glad to meet them and shake their hand, find out a little bit about them, and because this was in the South, he said to them, if there's ever anything we can do for you, let me know. Now, these people were not from the South, and so they didn't understand that he did not mean that, (laughs) okay, (laughs) right? Not really, (laughs) You know, you just say that stuff to be nice, right? Just to be kind. You know, yeah, if there's ever anything we can do for you, let us know. And so they're like, well, you know, as a matter of fact, there is. We're going out of town next week, and we need somebody to take care of our cat. (laughs) Would you do that? And he said, we sure will. And so this very successful, well-known man took time out of his week to go and feed and water a stranger's cat. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, "What would I do that? I'd get the deacons to do that. <laughs> or, uh, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd get the deacons' assistants to do that. I'd find somebody else to do that. I'd, I'd make sure that cat's well taken care of, right? You know, But, but really... I, should I do that? Is that, a, is that an appropriate thing? Well, the the, <laughs> the the reason why I tell you that is because that gives us a sense of exactly what Peter's getting at. Remember, Peter has has established our status as a royal priesthood, as as the very temple of God, as the people of God, uh, named by Him and His very own possession and. And one of the things that is so profound about that, he says, and as a result of your status and the work that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, you are now set free to live as servants. You are now set free to lead your lives as people who are willing to honor everyone. Uh, you, You love the church and, and you submit yourself to every human institution. Now, the thing that we hear that, and, and that makes us a little uncomfortable, but it's going to get even more uh, radical for us because in the next few passages, what Peter does is he breaks it out for specific kinds of people, classes of people that he is speaking to about this. And the very first class that we're going to look at next week, the very first group of people that he speaks to are slaves. Now, there's a couple of things about that. We're gonna, we have a horrible, horrible, just saying that word is, is just a terrible word. But one of the things we note about that, and one of the things we'll talk about and unpack about how to, to think about that is, at the very least, one of the things that's true of this church is, if that is the first group that Peter mentions uh, and calls out, there must have been a lot of slaves in that church. People who were property, people who were often probably mistreated, uh, people who struggled to uh, know their worth and their value, uh, especially given how they were treated. And so Peter's very careful to lay out for us what our status is before God, but he's also very careful to, to, to say to us some things that are very clear about what we are set free now to do. And so what I want to begin with this morning is uh, a quotation from Spurgeon. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me a, an email last Sunday night and said, I, you haven't used any Spurgeon quotes in a long time. <laughs> so it's time to use one. So I'm submitting. Uh, here's, a, here's a great one, by the way, uh, and worth uh, every moment that it takes for us to read it uh, this morning. This is from his uh, Morning and Evening. Uh, his devotional book, and he says this about our service, you have not the making of your own cross, although unbelief is a master carpenter at cross making, this is about taking up your cross and serving and following Jesus, so that, that's pretty impressive, right, you, you, you can't make your own cross, although unbelief would make one really, really terrible, Neither are you permitted to choose your own cross, although self-will would fain be Lord and Master, but your cross is prepared and appointed for you by divine love. Jesus loves you. He will call you to do and to serve and to live a life of dying for others uh, in his own way. And you're cheerfully to accept it. You're to take up the cross as your chosen badge and burden and not to stand cavilling. at it. Cavilling means, it's an old word that means raising petty objections. This night Jesus bids you submit your shoulder to his easy yoke. Do not kick at it in petulance or trample on it in vainglory or fall under it in despair or run away from it in fear, but take it up like a true follower of Jesus. Jesus was a cross bearer. He leads the way in the path of sorrow. Surely... You could not desire a better guide. And if he carried a cross, what nobler burden would you desire? The via crucis, that means the way of the cross, is the way of safety. Fear not to tread its thorny paths. Beloved, the cross is not made of feathers or lined with velvet. It is heavy and galling to disobedient shoulders, but it is not an iron cross. Uh, Though your fears have painted it with iron colors, it is a wooden cross, and a man can carry it, for the man of sorrows tried the load. Take up your cross, and by the power of the Spirit of God, you will soon be so in love with it, that like Moses, you would not exchange the reproach of Christ for all the treasures of Egypt. Remember that Jesus carried it, and it will smell sweetly. Remember that it will soon be followed by the crown, and the thought of the coming weight of glory will greatly lighten the present heaviness of trouble. The Lord will help you to bow your spirit in submission to the the divine will ere you fall asleep this night, that waking with tomorrow's sun, you may go forth to the day's cross with the holy and submissive spirit, which becomes a follower of the crucified. And so, what a profound thing that Spurgeon lays out for us there that that we identify with jesus in in, uh, in the service but it 's not just that Jesus has set an example for us; it is that by, by the fact that Jesus has lived and died our death and risen again for us, he actually enables this which he commands uh, because he establishes our status and our righteousness and it is so sure that, that we belong to him and he belongs to us, then it really sets us free to live as people who serve, to live as people who are willing to lay down our lives, to take up our cross just like he did and serve uh, uh, the people who are around us. What a what a, what a rich passage. So, so let's move into it and look a, a little bit more. So we submit, as, as Peter says, ourselves for the Lord's sake and for the sake of the world, so that our good deeds may be a witness to them and a testimony. We submit ourselves uh, for our fellow Christians' sake out of sacrificial love for them. We submit ourselves for God's sake because we honor his image in our fellow creatures, and because we respect his ordering of our lives, but especially because we gratefully seek to take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ. And so what what Peter is calling on this this small little church that's there in modern-day Turkey uh, that is oppressed and that is poor and that in many ways is invisible is that God is doing something profound there, and he's doing something profound specifically in the way in which they follow after him in serving, and specifically in the way of living out their identity as, as the royal priesthood, as his saints, as his people, in serving uh, the people who are around them. Next slide, please, A.J. So, so a few things to note in this. Um, the first one's this. Because God tells us to submit to someone or to something does not necessarily mean that that someone or something is approved by him interesting. Our assumption is that if God tells us to submit and, and, and tells us to be subject to someone, then they must be good. Or they must be kind, or they must be gentle, or they must be at least effective. But the fact is, uh, uh, God often tells His people to to submit to those who are not very good. In the Old Testament, when when Israel is carried off to Babylon, He tells them to to settle there in the city and to submit to the Babylonians, even as. God is plotting the overthrow of the Babylonians and the removal of them because of their evil and their abusive treatment of his people, right? So just because God says, listen, this is what's best for right now, this is what I have for you, and this actually is the way you will glorify me, doesn't mean that we should expect that somehow or other those to whom we submit are morally uh, uh, approved. Uh, Secondly, we believe that God sees And we can entrust ourselves to him because he judges justly and in time. Because one of the things that is true as well, not only does God lay on us because of our status as his children uh, that, that we submit, he lays a burden on those to whom we submit, and he holds them accountable to the way in which they treat those of us who submit to them. Thirdly, we do not take a lowly position toward others because we're low. We do so because God has exalted us. We are a kingdom of priests, saints, children of God, And his very own possession. And so that is the thing that is so profound about the paradox of the gospel is that we have all these lavish things that are true about God's care and his identification with us, all these things that are true about the work of Jesus Christ for us, all of his righteousness, all of his grace, all of his mercy, a new identity as belonging to him and being children of God, all of those things are true. And because they are true, it sets us free to lay our lives down for others. And so, because of this, I entrust my dignity into his care. And I think that's one of the things that Peter's getting at here. One of the things that that is important for us to understand is, when I hear this and I think about this, I'm afraid I'll lose my dignity. I'm afraid I'll be treated as somebody who just doesn't matter. I'm afraid that, that somehow or other, uh, I might even disappear. But what, what he's getting at is, no, actually, uh, these uh, human institutions that you submit to have nothing whatsoever to do with your dignity. In fact, next slide, please, AJ, every human being draws his or her dignity and value from God, from the fact that we bear his image. Let me say that again. Every human being draws his or her dignity and value from God and from the fact that we bear his image. Therefore, our dignity is always derived. It's not something we produce. And so if it's derived from God, then he is the only one who can take it away from me. Think about that. If my dignity comes from God, not from my job or from a number or from a relationship with another human being, or, or from uh, 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 my smarts, or uh, from any of those kinds of things, if my dignity is something that God establishes and he stamps me with, then I can rest in the fact that no matter how poorly you may treat me, and you better not treat me poorly because God will hold you accountable for that, but no matter how poorly I am treated, my dignity is secure because God gives it to me. And not only does he give it to me, not only does he stamp it on me, but what he says is, not only do you have the dignity of my image, in Jesus Christ I am restoring every day more and more of that wonderful image in you. Um, And God takes it very seriously when we do not treat our fellow creatures with dignity, honor, and respect. Now, I know I've tempted you today, as we've talked about this, to think about all the people who have treated you poorly, I know I've tempted you today to think about, wow, it's really hard to submit to that jerk, you know, and it's really hard to submit to that unjust person or that unkind person. Let me flip that on you and ask you today, have you been convicted at all this morning about the people that you might have treated without dignity, honor, and respect? interesting. Um, and, and one of the things that is so profound about that is we we probably should ask God to help us sometimes as we pray that we would be treated well and treated with respect even as we submit, uh, that we would treat others with the dignity that God has given them by being the, by them being his image bearers, right? Now, he goes on here at the end of this text, as we talked about last week, to, to, to to speak very specifically about certain kinds of people. And he says, we are particularly bound to people in the church. He says, love the brotherhood. We honor everyone, but there's something warm and intentional and beautiful and uh, um, affirming about our relationships within the church. We are to love the brotherhood we honor everyone else, and we fear no human being, right? We only fear God. Now, the, the thing that is profound to me about this is, is that what I should expect from the church and what the church should expect from me is a warmth, an acceptance, a love, a caring, a kindness, a gentleness that is willing to correct, a willing to bear burdens, a willing to forbear, a, uh, and, and a willingness just to enjoy the work of God and the work of the gospel by the spirit of God in the lives of people. Um, one of the greatest things about my job you'll get to see here in a few minutes is I get to do weddings. Now, the great thing about doing weddings is you get to see people's families. And so we had a rehearsal dinner last night. It was awesome. It was so good. It, you know. You know, it's, it's no wonder that when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus having a great time at weddings because they're great. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. It's a good thing. This is exciting. Well, one of the things that I was looking at last night, and, I, you know, you, you observe all kinds of, you know, dynamics between siblings and parents and grandparents. And it's just a rich tapestry of, of life and wonderful and fun, even if it's awkward. It's fun. I love it. Um, But one of the things I was watching last night was uh, two grandsons adoringly look at their grandfather. And I looked at that, and I've never had this experience before, but I thought, wow, I'm jealous. That that little boy just looks at his granddad, and his face just bursts into adoration He didn't have to say anything. He was just ecstatic to be in the presence of and to look on his grandfather as his grandfather looked at him. Wow, it was just so awesome. Well, there's something about the nature of the church that reflects that. We are the family of God. And this is the one place I know I can go where people will love me and people will care for me people will tell me the truth yes love me enough to correct me but also love me enough to put up with me because we're family because i might be the crazy uncle that you keep down in the basement <laughs> but i'm still the crazy uncle and i still belong to you and you belong to me right so so what a what a what a rich what a rich uh, picture that is so all of this is empowered by a clear understanding of our status, and it's a status that we've been given by God. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that our New Testament gospel reading that we read earlier in the service had to do with taxes, and this this uh, text that talks to us about our status and, and, and our ability to take, take that status to serve also speaks to us of status. This is the passage from Matthew. So uh, when uh, they, they're... Jesus is on his way to Capernaum, and it says this, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. Yes? I think so. I hope so. Maybe so. Does he not pay the tax? I guess he hasn't paid it, but yes, we pay it. And we'll get right on that. So... So when he came into the house, Jesus sees and understands what's going on, and he spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Who do do kings tax? Who do kings make demands from? And he says, well, from others. And Jesus says, then the sons are free, and you're all sons. Now, let me just be clear. One of the things about the Bible, it does, he doesn't say sons and daughters. And the reason for that is in this particular culture in the first century, daughters did not have the rights of inheritance. They didn't have the rights of the name of the family. But when Jesus says, your sons, and he says that to women, he is saying not, he's not ignoring something about gender or anything like that. He is elevating your status saying, you have exactly the same rights as the ones who would inherit everything, and so what he's saying there is, we are free because we are his children. So however, however, your freedom, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So there are two things about this that. Uh, are worth uh, our time and, uh, to, to think about this morning is that we had the full rights as and of sons, and therefore, we are careful not to give offense. In fact, we are careful to submit ourselves to things that really and truly um, uh, we're free from, but rather than cause offense for that, we submit ourselves to those things. Uh, but not only that, not only that and this is probably even more important our god is good to provide what we need to live as sons to serve and submit it's not a small thing that he sends peter out there to get that uh, to catch that fish peter was a fisherman to catch that fish, and to draw the the coin out. Because what he's saying to Peter is, you're free to submit and listen because of the gospel, because of my righteousness for you, because of my life, death, and resurrection for you, because of my promise to you, and because of your identity in me, you will be provided for to do and to live and to serve one another in the way in which I want you to do that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have full rights as sons. We belong to him. He belongs to us. Everything he has is ours. Everything he has is ours. And he sets us free to use that status for his glory in submitting and serving one another. Let me pray uh, that God would uh, uh, enable us uh, uh, to do that and to see that lived out uh, Uh, in our congregation. Let me pray. Lord, thanks today that you're good, that you love us, uh, that you are so kind in establishing our identity and our, um, uh, well, just our status before you. Uh, Thanks for uh, providing us everything that we need in Jesus Christ. And I pray uh, for those folks today who um, while maybe struggling with a sense that uh, they're invisible, that their dignity has been robbed, pray that you would help them, that you would, uh, by by your spirit, open their eyes to see uh, that you hold them in esteem, that their worth and their value is hidden in you. I pray, too, today, Lord, for those who may be struggling uh, to serve and this call, Uh, To take up the cross may seem uh, hard or impossible, and so I pray that you would speak kindness and uh, grace and mercy, reminding us of, uh, well, just who we are in you. Jesus, thank you that you took the lowest place for us, uh, that you died our death, that you rose again, and that you see and that you provide uh, all that we need for the life you've called us to lead. Lord, we ask that you would bless us now as we celebrate your great gift of marriage, as we celebrate what it means for two people to submit and love to you and to one another. And so bless uh, uh, this moment in our service, and we pray that you would get uh, great glory and joy uh, in what you're about to do here among us. Uh, We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.